text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what, to, what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world puts a lot of emphasis on image. And as a result, many in our society spend a lot of time on their physical appearance. Many want to present themselves in the best possible light. So we strive to eat right, to exercise regularly, to get our hair done, to dress in a manner that makes us look good. We want to look good because the world puts so much emphasis on this. The advertising industry uses attractive people to help sell consumer goods. Magazines portray all the beautiful people as people for us to look up to. Many people feel like they're under constant pressure to present themselves in an attractive manner. 
image involves more than just looking good. We present an image of who we are through other means as well. Those in business are taught to present themselves as being confident and, as, and charismatic people. Why? Because if you want to be a leader whom others follow, you need to have their respect. People make themselves look successful by outward means, like buying an attractive home or driving a cool car or truck. They do this even though at times it comes with crushing amounts of debt. But in our society, that's what people do. So they feel attractive and successful. These things have an effect on us as God's children. We too can get caught up in thinking that it's our outward appearance that makes or breaks us. It is a dangerous trap. We can get caught up in the rat race, trying to be as successful as our peers or neighbors or friends. It focuses our time, our energy and attention on the wrong things. At times, people will adopt role models, desiring to be like that person who in your mind has everything going for him or her. You try to be someone that you're not, to match up to a standard you may not be able to attain. It's important for us to know that God views things differently than we do. He made us as we are. He created us in his image. Reflect on that for a moment, beloved. When God first created man, he created us good, righteous, and holy. He crowned us with glory and honor, giving us dominion over this world and all that was in it. With a fall into sin, we lost much of the image of God. But through the redeeming work of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, we're again enabled to serve as God's image bearers. God does not want us to bear the image or pursue the image of the beautiful and successful people of society. His desire is that we live as his image bearers. God values things that we don't often put much priority on. Our text this morning is taken from the history of God's people Israel. Since settling in the promised land, they've been through trying times. In the period of the judges, there was a cycle of rebellion, rebuke, repentance, and renewal. Yet Israel did not learn from its mistakes. This time period is characterized by the refrain, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Israel had begged for a king and had received Saul. Yet his kingship too had failed. God sees his people's need and misery. And so God acts. He chooses David as his 
anointed king. We will consider why God chose David as king over Israel. As we examine David's life, we need to remember that he is a forerunner of Jesus Christ. In many ways, David served as a type of Christ. He was a man after God's own heart. He had a character that God delighted in. He was used by God to bring deliverance for his people. He helped establish God's kingdom on earth. David had a special relationship with God, one of love, trust, obedience, and hope. It's through the line of David that God would send his true messianic king into this world. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. It's by seeing the heart that God chooses David as king over Israel. We'll consider the hope in the Lord's choice, the wisdom in the Lord's choice, and the surprise in the Lord's choice. After Moses and Joshua, Israel did not have many strong leaders. The period of the judges was a dismal period in Israel's history. It was marked by repeated waywardness and rebellion against the Lord, and by a lack of consistent leadership. Some of the judges served well, but when they died, Israel reverted back to sinful ways. Samuel proved to be a good leader for God's people. Yet he was old now, and his sons were corrupt. As our reading from 1 Samuel 15 made clear, Saul's kingship over Israel was also failing. Saul's kingship had begun with such promise. When he was chosen to be king, he hid among the baggage. He showed forth modesty, asking how it was that the Lord had chosen him to be king. When the Ammonites threatened to overrun Israel, the Israelites were ready to negotiate terms of surrender. The Ammonites demanded that the Israelites serve them as slaves and that the right eye of all the men of Israel be gouged out. When Saul heard this, he gathered the men of Israel together and led them into battle against the Ammonites. In the battle that followed, he led Israel to a great victory. The people viewed Saul as a hero. His kingship began with great promise. But from there it all went bad. The Philistines assembled a mighty army to fight against Israel. When Samuel was late in coming to offer the customary sacrifice, Saul broke the law of God by offering the sacrifice himself. Before the battle started, Saul made a foolish oath, cursing anyone who ate food before evening. The result was that the Philistine defeat was not as complete as it otherwise could have been. Later, when God commanded Saul to kill, to attack and kill the Amalekites and to destroy all their possessions, Saul disobeyed the express command of God. He spared the life of Agag their king, and he kept the best of the flocks and herds. 
because Saul rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord rejected him from being king of Israel. Samuel was sad because Saul's promising beginning had ended in failure. He mourned because of Saul's rebellion and rejection. He grieved the fact that Saul was overcome by an evil spirit. Samuel was concerned about the future of God's people. Since the people were no longer served by a God-fearing king, were they to again turn away from the service of the Lord? Would Israel's enemies again ravage her? Would civil war break out in the land once more? Israel was at a crossroads. Who would now provide the leadership that God's people so desperately needed? It's in these circumstances that we see the Lord act. He says to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? With these words, the Lord makes it clear that ultimately he is Israel's king. He shows this with the command he gives to Samuel. The Lord said, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. In giving Samuel this instruction, the Lord utters one of the key words used in 1 Samuel 16. A word that is thematic for this whole chapter. It is the word see. Literally, our text reads, I have seen for myself a king among his sons. The word see appears nine times in 1 Samuel 16. It's not always readily apparent in the English translation. In verse 1, it's translated as provide. In verse 6, it refers to Samuel looking at Eliab, David's oldest brother. In verse 7, it appears to Eliab's appearance. And in verse 12, to the fact that David was good-looking. By making these constant references to the verb to see, the Lord makes a point even though Samuel was sad and depressed about what had happened to Saul and concerned about Israel's future, the Lord saw. Israel was his covenant people, the apple of his eye. The Lord loved them with a deep and an abiding love. He too was concerned about their future. Israel's sorry plight was not hidden from God's eyes. Thus the Lord is going to act on behalf of his people. He tells Samuel that among Jesse's sons, he has seen a king. When the Lord sent Samuel with oil to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, Samuel was scared to go. He was afraid that if he went, Saul would hear of it and kill him. The Lord tells Samuel to take along a heifer as a sacrifice and to invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. The Lord gives Samuel strict instructions. He says, I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. From heaven above, the Lord has seen 
whom he wants to appoint as Israel's next king. The Lord makes it clear to Samuel that he needs to be careful to follow God's leading, to anoint the man he has chosen. The Lord wanted to use Israel's desire for a king to establish his kingdom in the land. Israel's king was not supposed to be like the kings of the surrounding nations. Ultimately, God himself was Israel's king. The man whom the Lord chose and anointed as king was supposed to serve as theocratic king. He was to be a man who loved the Lord, whose heart's desire was to serve him according to his word. He was to serve as God's earthly representative who would lead the nation in God's ways. In the law, Moses had given prescriptions for how Israel's kings were to serve. Deuteronomy 17 specifies that Israel's king was not to acquire many horses or to multiply wives or to enrich himself. A strong army might tempt him to rely on his own power and might. Foreign wives might lead him astray in the service of other gods. Excessive wealth would place a burden on God's people, might also lead the king away from depending on God. Instead, the king was supposed to write out a copy of God's law as found in the first five books of Moses. He was to read from it each day, that he might learn to fear the Lord his God and obey his commands and lead Israel in them. Thus, he would be able to serve as theocratic king, ruling on earth in God's place. Beloved, we see how the Lord's words to Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king were meant to give hope. The Lord would provide for his people. He said, I have seen a king for myself among Jesse's sons. A king for myself. What a contrast with Saul's anointing. Then the Lord had said, give them, that's the people, a king. Now the Lord was designating his chosen man as ruler over his people. His kingship would be very different from Saul's. For he was divinely chosen to rule over God's people as a representative of the king who sits on the throne in heaven. God's anointing of one of Jesse's sons had great consequences. It provided Samuel with new hope. There was a way forward for God's people Israel. And not just for them, but also for us today. For in choosing David, God was preparing the way for the great son of David. We need to remember David is the forerunner of the Christ. And he is the basis for our hope today. For times when we mourn or grieve or face despair. For times when we're at a crossroads in our lives. It's important to know that we have a divinely appointed king to rule over us. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne in heaven above. He rules over this world for his church. 
He watches over us. He defends and preserves us against all our enemies. That gives real hope. Also in the struggles we face in our daily lives. This brings us to our second point, and it will see the wisdom in the Lord's choice. Samuel arrived in Bethlehem and invited Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. They came and appeared before him. Our text notes that when they came, Samuel looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Notice, beloved, that word, looked. Samuel looked. And he saw before him a handsome specimen of a man. He thought Jesse's oldest son would be the one chosen by the Lord. Yet the Lord told Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Eliab was undoubtedly an impressive hunk of manhood. Our text makes specific reference to the height of his stature. He was a tall man, a man to be looked up to. Yet we need to remember that Saul, too, had these attributes. 1 Samuel 9 verse 2 says this about Saul. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Yet God had rejected him as king over Israel. The Lord makes it clear to Samuel, he does not see as a man sees. When we look at people, our impression of them is often formed by outward things. As human beings, we're often impressed and thus deceived by what our eyes tell us. Why do we put such a premium on people's outward appearance? Why is there so much focus among us on outward beauty? Are we falling for this world sales pitch that your image is all important? That presenting yourself in an attractive way is what will make you happy and will give you satisfaction in your life? We often look at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The Lord impressed that message on Samuel. The Lord makes six more of Jesse's sons appear before him. And each time the Lord's message is, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Seven sons had appeared before Samuel. All those who had come with their father Jesse to partake in the sacrifice Samuel was offering. Yet the Lord had not chosen any of these. So Samuel asked Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. David was sent for. Our text also provides a description of David. It says that he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. David was still a youth. 
Yet when he appeared before the Lord, he said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Why did the Lord pick David? What did God see in David that neither Samuel nor Jesse could see? In the first place, it's important to emphasize that this is in fulfillment of the promises and the plans of God. Do you remember Jacob on his deathbed? He called for his sons and blessed them. To Judah he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The anointing of David, the son of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah, must in the first place be seen as fulfillment of this promise. Why else did the Lord choose David? Our text provides the answer. God himself said, The Lord sees not as a man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When Saul had wrongfully taken over the function of a priest and offered a sacrifice before leading his soldiers into battle, Samuel announced he would be replaced by a man after God's own heart. David was that man. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? We learn a little more about this by looking at David's psalms. When his flock bedded down for the night, young David would often sing to them. Gazing at the night sky, David sang, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Day by day, David was with the sheep. He led, guided, protected, sheltered, watered, and fed them. Slowly it dawned on him that he was a sheep that needed the tender care of the shepherd of Israel. And so he sang, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. When David traveled with his sheep through unfamiliar territory, he was not always sure of the way to go. It reminded him of the fact that in life God always points the way. So David prayed, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. When storms came, David was forced to find refuge in a cave or in the shelter of some great rock. As the lightning flashed, the thunder clashed, and the rain poured down, David thought, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When a bear or a lion attacked the flock, David was not afraid, for he knew 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David was a man after God's own heart. The Lord was David's constant companion. David loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He put God first in his life. He related everything else in life to God. The things he saw and heard, the things he felt and did, were all part of David's walk with God. Please don't get the idea that David was perfect, that he was without sin. Scripture makes clear that David fell into grievous sins. It paints a picture of David, the young shepherd boy, walking through life together with God, the great shepherd of Israel. There was divine wisdom in God's choice of David, for God saw him as he really was. There's a message in all this for us, beloved. God's choice of us is not based on what we look like or on whether or not we are physically attractive. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what, beloved, does God see when he looks at you? Are you a man, a woman, a young person or child after God's own heart? Is your life in tune with God? As you live your life day by day, are you walking in close communion with the Lord? As Christians, we are called to bear the image of Christ. Not physically, but spiritually. Not only has Christ redeemed us from our sins by his death on the cross, he also renews us by his Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Christ and through him, we are a new creation. As temples of the Holy Spirit, we are to reflect the Spirit's work in us, in our daily walk and talk, that our lives may reflect the glorious name of Christ Jesus our Savior. It is striking to see the instructions that the Apostle Peter gave to the women in the congregation in terms of how they were to present themselves. Peter said, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Whether we're men or women, boys or girls, 
God does not want us to pursue the image of the beautiful people of our society. Our focus in life should not be presenting ourselves as attractive or successful people. God wants us to live as his image bearers. This brings us to our final point, and I will see the surprise in the Lord's choice. When Samuel told Jesse to bring his sons, Jesse brought the eldest seven. He left his youngest boy with the sheep. He did not see any need for him to be there when Samuel presented his sacrifice to the Lord. In fact, Jesse's youngest son is not mentioned by name until verse 13. Yet most unexpectedly, at least by human standards, David was the one whom God chose as his theocratic king. So often the Lord chooses the most unlikely people to accomplish his plans. Paul states this principle clearly in 1 Corinthians 1. He says that not many of those whom God calls were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. For God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God is able to transform those whom the world thinks little of and to accomplish great things through them. Nowhere is this clearer than in God's choice of David's son, our Redeemer. Isaiah 53 verse 2 makes it clear that our Messiah had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Mark 6 verse 3 makes it clear that Jesus' countrymen saw him as just one of them as the son of a carpenter. In Matthew eleven nineteen, it is clear that many rejected Jesus because he came eating and drinking, because he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John seven forty one makes it clear that people thought he could not be the Messiah because he came from Galilee. When Jesus lived and worked among God's people, he did not conform himself to societal standards. Much of his early ministry was conducted in Galilee. Jesus simply taught in the synagogues and wherever else crowds gathered to hear him. He did not consult with the power brokers in Jerusalem. He did not try win over the people with flashy words or popular teaching. Jesus was not looking to receive accolades from people. His heart's desire was to do the will of his Father in heaven. And yet we see how the Father affirms Jesus Christ. He said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Psalm 118 teaches us 
that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord chose David, and through him prepared the way for his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come. For it's through our Lord that God would grant true redemption for his people. It's through Jesus Christ that God would establish his kingdom on earth. Today, Jesus Christ is seated on the throne at God's right hand. He rules as our victorious king. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. That gives us comfort. It gives us confidence. The Lord of glory, who gave himself for us, is on our side. He loves us with a deep and abiding love. Not because we are so attractive or because we present ourselves so well according to the image of this world, but because we are his, bought by his precious blood. May that be our motivation for serving as Christ's image bearers. May our hearts and lives shine forth with God's love that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Out of thankfulness for Christ's work for us and in us, let us glorify God in all we say and do. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's sing from Psalm 89, stanzas 8, 9, and 10. It's a passage that speaks about the anointing of David as the Lord's chosen one. We'll do that standing.